calling from the U.S. to let you know that it's really important everybody stop calling it an Israeli raid on the flotilla because the flotilla, in fact, was an invasion of Israel. And that needs to be made really clear to the rest of the world. Thank you. Yes, this is Cletus Holloway in America, and I love Israel National Radio, and I love Israel. So shalom to everyone. Good night. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the Noahide nations. And for those of you who don't know, Whitney Houston, dead at 47. Adam, this is going to be an interesting show, a sad show, sad topic, uh, but maybe we can find some good in all of this because we're going to be chatting about how does a person like Whitney Houston seemingly on top of the world, has everything, has all the money in the world, would seem to have all the friends in the world be so sad that, and quite frankly, she didn't take care of herself. I don't know. We, no one knows if she harmed herself to death or not. But, right. I, I mean, it, I, I don't get it. It's a, it's a sad statistic that a lot of these stars are dying because uh, whatever success they have in life isn't filling that uh, empty hole in them and uh Whitney Houston was a you know very special uh person had this beautiful voice was absolutely a beautiful person as i understand it uh, entering into stardom back in the uh, mid 80s right and uh then at some point life took a turn and uh drugs bobby brown and uh, a few years later dead at 47 it is very hard to even fathom you know because these these celebrities they in fact i'd have to say with everybody you know who's kind of down and out they figure you know if i just had that person's money i could really be happy yeah, even but- when you even when you see stories like this about whitney houston you you tend to want to think that you know if i had her money i could be happy but she I had her, she had her money but she wasn't happy exactly and that's my whole point is that even if we were to have that money Could we be happy? No. I think we would have to find the happiness a different way. The happiness definitely has to be there in and of itself somehow. You have to, you know, whether you have, you know, money is icing on the cake in some ways. In some ways it's just a burden to your happiness. You know, some people can be very happy given very meager means. I think that a person finds their means of happiness, finds their happiness and holds on to it and uh, protects it from what interferes with it and is able to sustain it in whatever conditions they find themselves in. Uh, people who aren't able to do that don't. Let me, let's do this. Let's pretend that you are Dr. Phil. And I, my, my question is, is if she was still alive, or let's, you know, let's put somebody in, in her place. If somebody like her came to you, how, how, would, you t- how would you talk to this person? You know, knowing that she's not happy, and yet she's got this uh, false face of happiness. How? What would you say to this person? Well, I, I guess the first thing you would want to do is just ask them some questions. What Whitney Houston didn't seem to be in any face like she was happy. She looked miserable all the time. Even before her death, she looked kind of miserable. She was planning a big comeback, though. Mm-hmm. Do a list of pros and cons. What's going good in your life? What's not going so good? And with the items that are going good in your life, when those things go good, does it make you happy? Does it help put away some of that uh, the sadness or does it fill the void? 
And if the answer is yes, then okay, well, maybe that's working for you. If the answer is no, then you've got to say, well, then some, that's not somehow, that's not what's going to help you with your happiness. So if you get down to, do you have plenty of money? Yes. Are you happy? No. When you get lots of money, do you feel better about your, your happiness? Well, not really. I mean, it's just more money. It's more of something I already have. Right. You know, I, so, so obviously that's not helping you. So, so what could it be? I think, you know, for the listeners here, I think the, the answer is going to be kind of obvious for us. You know, ultimately, your soul is missing something. That's why it's not happy. Right. And, um, but the question is, the question is not, do I know this? Do you know this, Ray? The question is, does the individual know it? Right. So how do you get the individual to know it? This is why in Hollywood, you have these quick fix, you know, spiritual gurus who, you know, the stars think, you're going to make me happy. Right. Really, the guru's in there for a quick fix, you know, to get paid because they can give them sort of a uh, a false hope. Exactly. A, you know, so it seems like happiness, but isn't. And hope is kind of an emotion. It's not really something that's, I don't believe, thought through. It's just an emotional feeling. Hope, hope is potential happiness. Right. But yeah. but if it doesn't have, if the potential doesn't have anywhere to go to develop, then it can never become real happiness. Let me let me ask you this, and I'm sure we'll never have this problem because we're not big-time celebrities. But <laughs> speaking of Hollywood, so many of these people, in fact, you can even listen to some of them during interviews uh, that are, happen to be uh, conservative or, let's say, even believe in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much of Hollywood is not like that. So much of the – so much is – uh, let's label it liberal. Uh, they don't believe in God. They try to get God out of everything, or they try to belittle God. Uh, everything is against God. And even for these people to get a job, if they're not liberal and and, and you know, don't believe in God and you know, have to believe in everything else that those people at the top believe in, they don't get work. Now I'm wondering, is that part of the 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 play that's going on here? I don't. I don't know that it's intentional necessarily. Um, I would say that it's just the it's the nature of the business. I, I think of the beast. <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. It the, is the beast. The, the beast being you know Hollywood, which you have to do to survive and thrive there. But here's what my the point I'm trying to get to is: if you remove God enough, remove it away from people enough, then you really don't have any spiritual happiness. Let me let me put it to you this way. This might help you kind of get a handle on what's going on here. Rabbi Oshlag. Oh, well, I am happy. Oh, well. so. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 Thank you, Dr. Phil. No problem, no problem. <laughs> I think I would have made this insulting comment first. But, no, look, Rabbi Oshlag in his book, uh, The Secret of the, in the Shadow of the Ladder, um, basically he summarizes uh, things like this. Uh, human beings are created with a will to receive for ourselves alone. And the idea in life is get to the point where we receive, not for ourselves alone, but for the sake of others. Right. So that we receive so that we can give. Right. So we want to become givers because God is a giver, and we're trying to emulate God, so we want to become givers. Exactly. Now, the problem in, is in Hollywood, in becoming an actor, becoming you know, someone who has a job at the very least, you're always thinking about yourself. You're, you're, you're having to put your needs first. And the more you put your needs first, the more you increase your will to receive for yourself alone. And so what happens is, is that the more you, you, uh, you receive for yourself alone, 
the further and further and further you get away from God. It's not that anyone's out there trying to say we're anti-God because we have nothing better to do. It's that the very decisions and choices that they make in life are causing them to create an image wherein it's so dissimilar to God that they lose more and more of that divine attachment. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is they have a belief in God, but they don't take the actions necessary to have that spiritual relationship. I mean, for example, physically doing a mitzvah. Now, I know a lot of these entertainers do give millions. They absolutely give millions. But I've also learned along the way that these millions count as major, major, uh, uh, um, what do they call it? When you're filling out your taxes, your write-offs. Deductions, yeah. Yeah, you get Mm -hmm. these major deductions, and a lot of them start foundations for the same exact reason. They get the write-offs, and yet they really only have to give away, I think it's 5% to be considered a foundation. Every year they got you have to give away 5% minimum. So... uh, you're, they're not getting any spiritual value from that in the truest sense. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not getting something waiting for them in uh, uh, the world to come. Sure. But they're going to receive most of their reward here in the now. I mean, that's possible. And it's also possible that they are you know, giving their money and getting into these foundations, but again, with the wrong motivation. You know, right. I mean, some of the charities they give to, I, I would kind of, you know, wonder about some of these charities. <laughs> some of them are very good. Yeah. It, it really just sort of depends. It, you, you sort of develop a, a skewed viewpoint of life. I mean, look, you've spent 10, 15, 20 years pursuing this dream of yours, and it's your dream, right? It's all about acquiring your dream right? and a job. You know, <laughs> paycheck. You yeah, know, something other than bartending or whatever you do to until you get you, until you accomplish your dream. Right, and then you become successful. Ten, fifteen years later on down the the, the line, you know, you, you kind of look up and you go, "Is this all?" Yeah, is this all there is? Is this all there is? And so you start kind of scrambling. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to they they, they try to change things. They try to look for spiritual answers. Uh, the problem is, is I think that. Um, some spiritual answers, uh, you know, require something more than than, than uh, a lot of people are willing to give, and and that's a that's a problem for them. So you know, if if your spiritual answer is, hey, you know, maybe you should stop doing movies and wear wearing you undress, right? Hmm. Right. Maybe you should stop. Maybe you should stop stop uh, doing movies where you uh, make out with another man's wife. Right. Do you you know I can you know I I used to have when back when I was watching movies all the time, I could I could sit there and I could determine what movie it was that uh, caused the split up between one person <laughs> and another because right. their current flame they started a movie with them wherein they were doing whatever. Right. I mean it's it's, it's it was almost it was almost it was almost you know pathetic because you were like you know. Um, Oh, these two broke up. Oh, isn't it curious that uh, his new girlfriend? They were in a movie about six months together, right? You know, and and uh, now we have this. There, there. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. You know, a lot of the, the the laws in the Torah protect us from that. So when you talk about the laws of modesty, right? Uh-huh. Laws of modesty would never permit you 
to have any sort of intimate connection with a woman who isn't your your wife or is or with a man who isn't your husband right in fact it was it's kind of interesting to say that because for me, I had to kind of learn that lesson with Jewish women yeah. I'm the kind of person I always extend a hand and sure. I always did to women also and was literally told that uh, you know I, I don't shake hands with men right and you know after you hear that a few times, it's like, oh, I get it. But, you know, that was surprising to me. But that's how serious they take it. And, and you know, there's a lot to be said for you know, that serious way of you doing You know, uh, Ushpazim, uh, it's, it's a movie uh came out in 2006. It's about this uh, religious couple and um, their experience of Sukkot. And it's just kind of a, you know, comedy of errors. But through the whole thing, it's, 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 it's about, uh, you know, uh, um, Drawing close to Hashem and getting over anger and trusting Hashem, but interestingly enough, the the, the uh, two main stars were actually married in real life, which oh. is what allowed them to to do certain scenes that they right, did. Right, right. I mean, there was nothing overtly physical in the movie. It was just maybe hand touching at the most. Right. But if it weren't for the fact they were married, they, they, there's no way they could do that. Right. And so you know, I I was really inspired by this because this really demonstrated you could have a great movie. You could do it within the boundaries of uh, uh, of Torah too. Right. I think the problem is is that uh, in Hollywood, they want to make a great movie, and let's face it, they know there are certain things that sell yep. very easily. Yep. And that's a problem. And, well, and, and and you know, look, Whitney Houston. Would we have all been enamored with her if she was just a voice? I mean, she was a beautiful woman too. Right. right. Beautiful woman, beautiful voice. How many times do we see, you know, you know, ugly woman, beautiful voice? You know, right. right. There was the one time, though, on American Idol uh-huh. when uh, I, I don't even remember where she was from, somewhere in, in Europe. And she was just a very shy, recluse Susan person. Boyle? Yes. Mm-hmm. And she came out and belted out a tune the first time. And that was really one of the only times I'd seen American Idol. I really don't care for the show. But I happened to see that show. Mm-hmm. And she came out and belted it out. And I was the crowd just was like paralyzed and the 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 judges were just paralyzed because they were looking at her and had prejudged her based upon her looks and then her voice was everything Mm -hmm. so i i agree with you that whitney houston would not have become the star that she became on her voice alone i mean uh, it reminds me of uh Back when I was a kid, there was a, a pop group called Millie Vanilli. Right, <laughs> Millie Vanilli. I mean, they were big time, and they had they, they sang these songs. They were they were great, and they came out that Millie Vanilli. Neither one of them could sing. Right, they, they were guys. They were basically they were dancers, and who they were, had the who look, were lip syncing. Who were right? lip syncing? They had yeah. the look. Right, lip sync, and the guys who actually had the great voices. Everybody was going gaga over. You know, they they were uh, you know they weren't the most attractive people on the face of the earth, but they had the voice. So, you know, there's almost this Greek approach to uh, things, um, ideas of beauty in Hollywood. It's sort of like, it's sort of Greek culture reborn in that, uh, you know, you, you, you have the, uh, you know, you're pushing forth beauty. And beauty comes in the form of the, of the human body and, it, you know, it, and the, the chiseled muscles and, the, you know, everything. You know, in Hollywood, they have a phrase for that. What's that? Camera friendly. Camera friendly. That's so, what it's called. So this is so. What happens though when you're not so camera friendly anymore? Well, like me, you're not in Hollywood. Hey, this is what happens to child stars a lot. Exactly. People take their older. kids. People take their kids, hoping to make some money. Maybe some just think, you know, my kid's got a talent. You know, it wouldn't be great if they they start in a movie. But 
very few people ask themselves the question, what are they going to do? What, what is my kid going to do when people stop paying attention to them? When people stop, you know, you know, giving them the accolades that they're used to or, or, or making a big deal about them. Uh, you know, I've got a very cute little daughter and, uh, you know, I've got people all the time talking about how beautiful and cute and adorable she is, and uh, even suggesting maybe we should find a you know a talent agent. Right. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I have no interest whatsoever in ever introducing my daughter to um, any uh, kind of talent agent, right. Hollywood, whatever. I don't care because I see that, that there are these dangers. You know, I don't want someone to appreciate my daughter for superficial reasons. And we shouldn't want anyone to be appreciated for superficial reasons. And yet these people, including Whitney Houston, are basically worshipped. For I mean, superficial you reasons? Can see, they'll, be, they'll go on in the news for the next two, three weeks. And then when the uh, autopsy results completely come out, mm-hmm. they'll be back at it again for another two, three weeks yeah. when they do the funeral. I mean, you sure. would think these people were somehow, well, let's put it this way. In our society, we treat them better than we treat God. I mean, can you imagine if we put if the if man in general just put half the energy that they do into worshiping these stars into worshiping God, we'd be a whole lot better place to live. And you want to know what really makes my head hurt? What's that? I, I mentioned earlier that you know I, I learned about the the modesty thing, and I learned it from obviously Jewish women. Sure. What amazes me is what is Hollywood made up with? Jewish people. They're the ones that are basically running these studios. They're the, the big guns. They're the big guys. And here they have such an opportunity to change the world just by what they put on film. And in, instead, they put on what they think is going to sell, which is usually violence, sex, you know, all kinds of nonsense like that. And they really have an opportunity to change the the thought process of mankind. Interestingly enough, just the way Hollywood is, they have changed the thought of mankind. And what we need to do is get them to change the role, start heading back the other direction. Absolutely. I mean, they have the power within their their hands to do this, and they just don't. And in the meantime, people around them are, are dying. People no, around it's... them are going uh, unemployed because... Well, they don't believe in what I believe in, and because of that, you know, you're not going to, uh, you can't even read the script, let alone you know, try out for it for the uh, role. Yeah. But I don't know. It just uh, is these things, kind of things, always amaze me uh, where the Jewish people are are involved because so many of them have contributed so so much to society. Like you know, the, the Nobel Prize winners. I mean. The Jews have won the majority of them. I mean, the littlest country with the smallest amount of people has won the most Nobel Prizes. Go figure. There's a reason for that. And the same thing could transpire in Hollywood, but instead they they just run rampant, and we have all kinds of people uh, who wind up dead. We we need more Kiruv. We we need more outreach in uh, Hollywood. There we go. You know, everywhere. But, you know, the the thing is is that um, but but it's also up to us. You know, if the viewing public says, you know, hey, we're not we're not watching these types of movies anymore. You know, we're not we're not going to these kinds of internet sites anymore. Right. You know what? You know what? The dollar is going to follow the the interests of the people. Again, this is you Very know, right? I I would I would put it up there again. We talked about in politics, the people deserve their leaders. Right. Let's face it, Hollywood's just a type of leadership for America. Right. And you know what? If the people were more deserving, we'd have better leaders in Hollywood. There was a time 
in Hollywood. Well, not always the best, not always the greatest, but you did have more individuals who had a certain level of uh, moral tenacity. Yeah, and that's the word, tenacity. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they wanted it. They wanted to portray it. I mean, you look at the movies of from way back when, the black and whites, mm-hmm. and you compare them to the ones today. You, well, there is no comparison. And yet those, when you, it's funny, when you see those in the TV guide, they still give all those movies four and five stars. And meanwhile, these current movies, are they get two stars, three stars. Very seldom do you see a, a four or five star. Well, you know, you know, this is one reason why Melinda and I have finally gotten rid of our TV. Is uh, you know, we we just you know, at the end of the the day, you know, if there's one thing I learned from Christianity that I that I always keep with me, I think it's a good uh, idea. It's, it's garbage in, garbage out. Mm, and you yeah. know, I really have to say that I feel like pretty much everything we can get from television is garbage in. And uh, you know, do I want my kids? You know, do I want to raise my kids watching garbage? You know, changing their minds with garbage. Um, I mean, there there are all sorts of. I, we don't have time to get into it now, but um, you ever want to read a great book, Kindle of Soul, Lawrence Kellerman? Go flip to the section where he talks about TV and kids, and it will just knock your socks off. Even educational programming, bad idea. So you know, I, we don't have time to get into that right now because I think we're about to hit a break. Yeah, we're getting close. So I think we okay, got, we got another, a little bit got, more time. Yeah, sure do. Okay, so but. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of the things that, that uh, you know, we look at a Whitney Houston, a Michael Jackson, um, all these these stars, all the countless number of kid stars who right. have, uh, you know, come up and died as a result of getting into drugs because people no longer love them like they once loved them. Right. You know? That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. <laughs> it was a false love. It was clearly a false love. But you don't know that at the time. You don't realize it's a false love when you're getting when you're receiving all this affection and love and everything. You think it's real, right? But then you know one day everybody says, you know, okay, next, what's the next entertainment? Well, and you know what? That's the illusion. Just like the movies are an illusion, the 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 special effects are an illusion. I mean, yeah, they they look great and grandiose and all of that, but it's an illusion. It doesn't really happen. I mean, yeah, they blow up a car, but they're really not blowing up a car. Uh, so it is, it's all fake. In fact, sometimes I wonder if these entertainers could actually have a life without a script. You know, I, I, sometimes I really wonder, I mean, I know a lot of them that do John Voigt, for example, you know, here's a guy, he doesn't need Hollywood. Uh, he, he knows what he wants. He's a, you know, man of honor and, and all of that, but it's not Hollywood that perpetuates his existence. Um, and you know, he's just kind of, you know, has always been special that way. And there's others like him. Uh, but the majority of Hollywood sadly is, it winds up with, uh, what's dare I say blood on their hands, so but, to speak. But you know what though? And talking about Whitney Hughes, actually, it's funny that this has gotten me upset <laughs> about movies, take Hollywood and all that. Right. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, we have blood on our hands too. So Absolutely. Long as, so long as we're paying $10 to go to a movie, where they're they're featuring non-tour concepts, right? We're responsible as well. Yeah, I agree. And Dr. Phil, thank you for that uh, <laughs> final out there. No, Adam, we're uh, at the bottom of the hour, and uh, so we're going to need to scoot out of here pretty quick. And we're going to be coming back with uh, Rabbi Katz and uh, also uh, George Brock. So, folks, stick around with us. We'll see you on the other side. See you soon. The Jews were living in Israel long before the United States became a nation in 1776. 
before Columbus discovered America. Before the ancient Roman Empire. Israel, the homeland of the Jewish people forever and always. Even a kid knows that. Shalom and welcome back, folks. Adam and I appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. Right, Adam? I certainly do. Well, sadly, we're going to have to roll right into, I shouldn't say sadly, happily, we're going to roll right into Rabbi Katz's segment. Adam, let's go. Sounds great. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Katz. Today we're going to talk about the Torah, the lesson that Abraham had received from Shem, a.k.a. Malkit Tzedek, the king of righteousness, when Abraham left his home and his surroundings to pursue the, the, the freedom of Lot, his brother-in-law and his nephew at the same time. As Lot was the son of Haran, Sarah was the daughter of Haran, Haran Abraham's brother. So when Abraham married Sarah, thereby Lot became his his brother-in-law and his nephew at the same time. Now the story of the recapturing of Lot sent Abraham out of the study hall, the yeshiva, to go and rescue Lot. By doing so, Abraham will end up on the mount, the Harbias, the Temple Mount, after his 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 victory against the four kings. Abraham then meets up with Shem, Malkitzedek, king of righteousness, the king of, of, of Salem, Shem. The authorities in the, in the commentaries have understood that Malkitzedek uh, hinted at in his name uh, the king, the complete king, Melech Shalem, complete king, as the initial letters of Shem. Thereby we know that this was in fact Shem. Shem is going to impart to Abraham a very deep Torah message. It's the theme we've been talking about for some time. We're also, in further broadcasts, going to examine to understand what exactly was this yeshiva, or this academy of learning, that Abraham was in. That he took 318 different students of his to go out to rescue Lot, whereupon he will meet up with Shem, and Shem delivers a very deep message to Abraham. Abraham blesses Shem, thereby which Shem responds to Abraham, you too should be blessed, Abraham. This was a a character, uh, the proper character and proper mode of conduct that Shem returns the blessing to Abraham. And Shem delivers a very powerful message to Abraham. Abraham, he says, you bless me first, I through proper conduct, Derech Eretz, bless you in return. But let's not forget to bless God, as that is, that's the first and foremost a person should do. So what does Shem say? He blessed him, Abraham blesses Shem, and Shem blesses Abraham, blessed is Abraham. Blessed is Shem, then Shem says, blessed is Abraham. Uh, of God, the most high maker of heaven and earth. And don't forget to bless God, blessed is God. The most high who has delivered your foes into your hand, and he gave him a tenth of everything. Now in this, in this passage, it has been told that Abraham makes three vital 
fatal errors in his service to God. Shem delivered the message of error. Abraham blesses Shem. Shem is forced to bless Abraham before God to show Abraham the proper mode of conduct. But we're not saying that Shem sinned. We're saying Shem actually did the opposite. He showed a proper blessing to Abraham, but it set Abraham up for a fall. Abraham made three mistakes according to the Talmud. He left Yeshiva, our Academy of Learning, one. He gave back the spoils of war to the king of Sodom, two. He questioned God's promise to give him the land, three. Now, he may have left the Academy of Learning, but how can we find the sin involved there? And the sin we'll find is directly related to Shem. Abraham left Yeshiva, the mode of learning, to go save Lot. Shem responds with a fantastic teaching to Abraham. Abraham, though, was out of the study hall. He wasn't in the mode of learning. Thereby, he sinned when he blessed Shem first. Shem reciprocated, but that reciprocation set Abraham up for a tremendous fall. As the next time we see Abraham, the next verse The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and take the possessions for yourself. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I lift my hand to Hashem God, the most high maker of heaven and earth. Where did Abraham get that language from? He got the language from from Shem Malkitzedek. In Hebrew, this is called Kael Elyon, the God above, Konesh Shemayim Va'aretz. Kona means acquirer or maker of. Shemayim va'aretz, heaven and earth. And now we fast forward to see Abraham. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, If I will raise my hand to Hashem, Kael Elyon, again, God on high, Kona Shemayim va'aretz, maker of heaven and earth. Abraham learned this passage from Shem. Now with Shem, that passage was accurate. But by the king of Sodom, Abraham then went too far. And he gave back the spoils of war. Hashem gave Abraham those spoils of war for a reason. When Hashem gives you a blessing, you take it. Just like Shem took the blessing from Abraham. Abraham blesses Shem. Shem says, I take the blessing. And blessed is Abraham. That was the proper code of conduct. Abraham then understood it by Shem on a certain level, but he tries to use the the God awareness by Sodom, and he forgets the Derech Eretz, proper conduct. God gives you a blessing, you take the blessing. Thereby he was out of the mode of learning, and he was out of the academy study hall, two sins, based on Shem. Shem was absolved, he didn't do anything wrong. But Shem was directly involved That because Abraham was out of the study hall pursuing Lot, Shem then imparted Abraham to learning that Abraham was not in the academy to fully digest the, the impact of the learning. That was the first mistake he made, leaving the study hall. Now he was at the study hall of the Temple Mount, of which Shem was a partial Rosh Hashiva head of the academy. It was It's the angelic... Heavenly Academy, this is why the Zohar tells us, the Torah uh, of ancient tradition, that inside Shem 
was actually the angel Michael. Michael was kind of enclosed inside. So Abraham had left the academy, but he didn't realize he was in the academy now. This is all happening so fast for Abraham. In fact, it's going to be Jacob that understands the full impact and magnitude of the Temple Mount being an academy of learning. Abraham sees Shem, but the Torah tells us Malkitzedek, the name Malkitzedek really is a hint at Michael being there as well, the angelic heavenly realm, and the yeshiva there being present there. Abraham had left the academy that he was familiar with, and he got the teaching of this academy, and it will sink in, but things had gone so fast, Abraham does not realize the the powerful message, and he blesses Shem first. Shem blesses him with proper conduct, teaches him about God. Then Abraham slips up again, and the king of Sodom, and he says, if I would take something from you, I belong to God. He took it out of context. He didn't take the blessings from God. That was the second sin of Abraham, according to Talmud. And then it got dark for Hashem. Hashem told him, fear not. To you, you will inherit this land. And Abraham says, how do I know I will inherit the land? And the answer is, Hashem gave him a blessing. And the answer is, Baruch Hashem. Blessed is God. That's what what Shem was imparting to Abraham. Abraham didn't get the full message until it was too late. And Hashem gave the Brisbane of Basarim the covenant of parts. Thereby it was decreed that Abraham and his seed would go through exile 430 years. But that exile would guarantee that there would be a nation or a kingdom of priests that would be dedicated to the Torah of Shem. So that all the time, while the, 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 the Noahide nations of the world are working on their academies all out the world of the Torah Academy of Shem, there would be one nation less likely to be assimilated that would cling to the Torah for all of time to ensure the guarantee and safety of the Torah of Shem. So that there would always be a Torah of Shem and the Academy of Shem in the world. Teaching that Torah to break it down into parts that the whole world would be able to enjoy the Torah of Shem. The Noahide nations are the nations that facilitate the learning and the academies of learning outside the land of Israel. That when the Jews will go through this exile caused by Abraham, the two nations will work together, sometimes not in a revealed manner, but in at least in a in, a, in some manner, the relationship between the academies outside the land and the Jewish nation in exile, the two are brothers side by side. It might be covert, yet it's happening nonetheless as prophesied by Song of Songs, King Solomon, Shlomo Melech. Now one last message to impart. Why does Melchizedek Shem give over bread and wine to Abraham on the Temple Mount? Shem brings out bread and wine as it's a it's a gratuitous endeavor. He it was a kindness, act of kind deed. Abraham represents the, the level of kindness. Thereby Shem imparts to him kindness. It's to show Abraham this is what you really are coming to be a part of. I'll show you I know your soul and your essence. You are kindness. I will show you kindness. Abraham, who's in Jerusalem fighting for Lot represents Torah. He left the academy of Torah to go get Lot and he's receiving Torah from Shem. Why is Abraham all about Shem? Abraham, why is he all about Shem? Because Shem's main attribute, just like Abraham, was kindness. Abraham is showing Shem, I understand and respect you. You are Torah. I left the Torah hall. I'm here to learn Torah from you. Therefore, the the level of God above is the kindness that will fill the world, the proper conduct, Derek Eretz, which is the conduit of which the Torah can come down to earth. This is the level called God above, acquirer, maker of heaven and earth. It's called the, the 
kindness within the wisdom. And the, the union of Shem and Abraham, the level of wisdom and kindness together is what makes Yeshiva Academy of Learning work on the level of the crown of Torah. That's all for today. I'm Rabbi Katz signing off. See you guys next week. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rabbi Katz. I mean, every time I listen to Rabbi Katz teach Adam, I have to pick up my jaw from the floor. I mean, it's it's utterly amazing sometimes. Uh, a little but, inconvenient, though. Uh, yeah, right, especially now because we need to get out of here and bring George Brock in. George, please come on in and give us your teaching. I'd like to thank Noahide Nations and Israeli National Radio for allowing us to share Noahide teachings to the Gentiles everywhere. The teachings of the sages is taught to us by the rabbis. It's an honor to be here. My name is George Brock, and Jack McCarter will be assisting me with scripture reading. The uh, first thing, we, we have three segments to our program. The first is uh, I'm a martial arts instructor and uh, probably 50 to 75 students that we have have become Noahides and uh, many more are, are uh, learning uh, how Torah is reality and so uh, they're growing in Torah. They haven't quite come out of uh, uh, Christianity yet, but they're working on this. Well, these are some of the things that we do. We have a reading after every lesson, a, a aphorism that they would learn so that uh, we want to teach them to control their thoughts, their words, and their actions. Uh, you don't want to teach someone to defend themselves and you go out and try to hurt people. In fact, it's just the opposite. You learn so you don't have to fight. All right, so this is lesson five. We've already given four. And the first one is on repentance. Can one be so right as to commit no wrong? Those who repent will regain their strength and restore their path. Destiny. To fulfill one's destiny, one must shatter the vessel to receive for oneself alone, choosing to become a vessel to receive to share one's good path. To understand the divine path, one must sanctify the divine name, seeking always to reveal God's unity through oneness, truth. Those who reject the Torah waste their life's energy in a futile attempt to escape reality. Boundaries. To stay within the boundaries, one must stay in the light. Is it not better to seek the light one has been given than the darkness one will create? Now we're going to get into the second part of segment of our teaching and this is our Noahide teachings and uh, this is going to be on idolatry this is the second law of the uh, the first law of the Noahide seven t- uh, laws and uh, we're going to see uh, how this came about not only for the Jews but also uh, we also share in that as we'll see Exodus 8 Verse 22. Moses said, It is not proper to do so, for we will offer the deity of Egypt to Hashem our God. Behold, if we were to slaughter the deity of Egypt in their sight, will they not stone us? Now what happened was they were to offer a sacrifice to God. Well, Pharaoh said, Just go ahead and sacrifice here in Egypt. And they said, No, because this is the Egyptian deity. So... Rashi teaches us that four-fifths of the Jewish people were killed during the plague of darkness in Egypt. And the Jews, when they started, 
They were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. During that time, many Jews adopted the Egyptian beliefs, and they wouldn't give up the worship of the Lamb. Well, the same thing's going to happen when the true Messiah comes. At the end times here, there are many Gentiles who will not give up the teaching of the Lamb. Well, we're going to see that is uh, the uh, basis for Christian belief. Our food for thought. The purpose of holding the uh, Lamb publicly was to denounce the idolatry in the face of the adulterers. But one should conduct oneself as if one was a slave that's being freed to go and worship God. In other words, that should be your commitment. Studying Torah should be just like the Shabbat, the first Shabbat here when they were free. That's what Shabbat is, is free to go and worship the creation. It's where God hides himself. Mount Sinai is where God revealed himself. And Egypt is a type of the world. Noahides also were born in the world, which Egypt is always a type of the world. And we were born into idol worshiping. In other words, worshiping some form of creation as the creator. Separating God, rejecting the unity of his oneness. If it wasn't for the Torah, we would still be separated from God. If one is not moving toward Torah, one is experiencing one is not experiencing Passover, but is still in the darkness of Egypt. The redemptive Egypt and the future redemption are comparable in many ways, except the future will be much greater in number. Next, third segment of our teaching is on untying the knots. And these are just the proof text. Anything someone would say would be spiritual. If it doesn't line up with Torah, which is the proof text, then it cannot be true. And we started, the more we studied, the more we found out that we had inherited lies. We always start off with Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 14. Be pleased when things go well, but in a time of misfortune reflect. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man should find nothing after him. And what we understand by this is that this world is made up of total opposites. For there to be truth, there has to be a lie. And otherwise, everything would just be. And so... We have to say, which is truth? If the Torah is the basis of truth, then one needs to follow Torah. And so uh, this is what we came to the conclusion, that if truth is Torah, what are we following the teachings of man for? So let's look at how this this, uh, Passover lamb applies toward what we're talking about. Again, here we use 17. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may... Be a new lump as ye are an leaven. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So we were taught that Jesus was the Passover lamb. We accepted that as truth. But until we started investigating and find out what the Torah says about the, uh, uh, the lamb. Let's look at Exodus 8 and verse 22. Moses said, It is not proper to do so, for we will offer the deity of Egypt to Hashem our God. Behold, if we were to slaughter the deity of Egypt in their sight, will they not stone us? Again here, we see that the Lamb was the deity of Egypt. To accept the teachings of the Lamb is to assimilate into paganism. And to deny the uh, belief that Jesus was a Passover Lamb, that would make him the God of Egypt. And that's why Noahides reject this teaching. And now let's look at our food for thought. Mark 14 and verse 36. 
And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Now we see another problem here. And if Jesus was God, like uh, Christianity teaches, how could his will be different from the Father's will if they're both the same? John 18 and verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Go into our proof text. We go into the, to the Tanakh and the Torah, and we study, and we find out what is truth. First of all, on salvation. Psalms 146 and verse 3. Do not rely on nobles, nor on a human being, for he holds no salvation. Okay, we find out here that there is no salvation in human beings. And in Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, we also find... Flesh and blood his strength, and turns his heart away from Hashem. So we find that God says there is no salvation in humanity. Therefore, humanity is not God because there is salvation in God. So humanity cannot be God. Let's look at life. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19. See, I have placed before you today the life and the good and the death and the evil, that which I command you today to love Hashem your God, to walk in His ways, to observe His commandments, His decrees and His ordinances. Then you will live and you will multiply, and Hashem your God will bless you in the land to which you come to possess it. So we see that life and blessings comes from loving God, and fearing God and keeping His commandments. Well, the love of God is doing the positive commandments, the things that God tells us to do. And fearing God is avoiding the negative commandments, the things that God tells us not to do. So we find that life comes from obedience, not from merely believing something. You have to be obedient. That's when you know that uh, you show your love for God. You can think that you are Superman, but if you can't fly, you're not Superman. Let's look at man. First uh, Samuel 15 and 29. Moreover, the Eternal One of Israel does not lie and does not relent, for He is not a human that He should relent. God is not a man, so Jesus was not God. going to become a man. So our spiritual spark today is on repentance. Ezekiel 18, 21 through 22. As for the wicked man, if he repents from all his sins that he committed, and he observes all my decrees and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he committed will not be remembered against him. He shall live because of the righteousness that he did. Okay, so repentance and salvation comes through confession here of your sins. That's how your sins are forgiven. It's always been that way, and that's an obedient act to uh, repentance to Shuva. It was here from the very beginning. I was told one time, I, I said, if you can get your sins forgiven by confessing, why would someone have to die for your sins? And they responded, well, God can do anything. So if God can do anything, they say, then he can put the sins of uh, the world upon Jesus. Well, my response is, if God could do anything, why wouldn't he not do that? Because he wouldn't have to. 
food for thought. Folks, that was George Brock, and thank you once again, George. You always entertain us with a great teaching, and thanks, Jack McCarter. Uh, we appreciate him doing the readings of the of the Torah for us. Uh, Adam, it was a, a really great show, and i got to tell you, I think it was worth getting up this morning for this. Well, Adam, we need to roll out of here. Or otherwise, we're going to get in big-time trouble. So let's get on out of here, folks. Thanks for being with us. We'll catch you next week. Our programming and live broadcast include news and interviews from Israel and the world. Walter's World. Thanks for joining me. I am Walter Bingham. Welcome to Laser Beams with your host, Rabbi Laser Brody. Your hour of vitamins for the soul. This is Doug Goldstein, though my day job is being a financial advisor. Life Lessons with Judy Simon. And here are the life lessons that the guests on my show have learned on their journey through life. Reality Bites with Josh Haston. Hear how you can make a difference in defending the state of Israel in the war of public opinion. Reality Bites. Shalom and welcome to the Israel Beats Jewish Music Podcast here on Arut Sheva Israel National Radio. I am your host, Benjamin Bresky. I'm Tamar Yona, and today we're going to be speaking with a former Arab terrorist. You will remember nothing except for this hour of news and views with me, Gil Ronet. This is Jay Shapiro. Hello to everybody, and of course, Mrs. Calabash. Be sure and check out all the other shows on IsraelNationalRadio.com.